You are listening to the Bethel Church Sermon Podcast, a ministry of Bethel Church in Yale, South Dakota. Good morning. I thought Pastor Colt was taking a break today, but that sermon before the singing was actually pretty good, wasn't it? So uh, appreciate those words. Um, I wasn't here last week, but I, I watched the service online this week. And Pastor Colt began with sort of a caveat about listening to someone preach on the topic of parenting when the preacher's own kids are small. Um, similarly, I have to warn you that today, uh, a guy from town is going to talk to a bunch of farming experts about soils. And uh, what I do have working in my favor, I think, is a passion for the gospel of Mark, where it will be, and a love of Jesus. So hopefully those will overcome any of my deficiencies in the area of soil. Um, and the good thing is, this is a parable that Jesus tells, and he explains the whole thing. So it, it shouldn't be real tough for me up here today. Uh, I want to begin with some context for this passage, and context in our congregation here as well. So would you raise your hand if a couple of quarters ago you were in the Mark Sunday School class with me? These are the people I will pick on today. All right. Um, no, I won't, I won't pick on you, but some of what we start with might be a little familiar to you, I hope. Um, one of the things they probably remember is that Mark has a very organized structure, and it's relatively easy to learn that structure. And once you learn that structure, you can basically tell all the stories in the Gospel of Mark. The structure is broken into six blocks, or sections, and most of these sections have uh, sort of a mirror structure. The technical term in the Greek is chiasm, but I, I wasn't even sure how to spell that, so we'll say it has a mirrored structure. Basically, there's A, B, and C. A and C have something in common in each block, and then the middle part actually often has like a little subset of mirrored stuff. So Mark was really... Uh, pretty brilliant at organizing, um, probably could do sentence diagramming and everything, I'm not sure. But uh, it was a time when people didn't have access to the printed word, so he wrote the gospel in a way that people could learn and people could repeat, people could tell it to each other, and, and even pull it up in their own life when they needed to hear an encouraging word from the Lord. The parable of the soils is one of four parables that Jesus tells in the second major block in the book of Mark. Um, the major theme of that block is power. These four parables are followed by four corresponding miracles, and there's some connections there. Um, so I won't go into detail, um, but again, people who had the class might find this a little bit familiar. The four parables and four miracles as they connect are the parable of the soils, which we'll be looking at today, is illustrated in the resurrection of Jairus' daughter. The parable of the lamb ties to the healing of the woman who had a bleeding disorder. The parable of the seed which grows in secret is connected to the freeing of the man possessed by legion. And the parable of the mustard seed relates to the stilling of the storm. Now, if you didn't follow all that, and I didn't put a flow chart on the screen, just know that Mark is very organized, and we're going to make some connections from this parable of the soils elsewhere in in the surrounding section, okay? Um, so keep in mind, this parable, again, connects to the miracle of raising Jairus' daughter from the dead. 
And I will come back to that near the end. Um, so when you hear me back on that, you'll know we're close. I think that's your cue today. Um, we're going to read the scripture. I have uh, some people from the young adult class are going to help me with this right now. But you could turn to Mark chapter 4. And I think I will let you sit as we read today. Yeah, you four can come on up now. Um, you can sit so you can see the participation of these helpers of mine. I'm grateful for their willingness, even though a couple of them had to be bribed with some Jolly Ranchers or something. I can't remember. All right. Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. Again, Jesus began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Slow down a little, Dan. You're jumping way ahead of me here. Do you want to try it again? We didn't practice. Should we do it again? Okay, we'll do it again. All right. And as he sowed, some uh, other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up. Okay, he's still ahead of me. Uh, since it had no depth of soil, and when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Very good. Thank you. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? And here comes the moment Caleb's been waiting for. The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves but endure for a while, Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. There's those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold, and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Thank you to my helpers who will probably never do me a favor again, but I think it brings that parable to life a little bit for us. This is uh, 
I don't know if this is an easy exposition of Scripture or a challenging exposition because the parable has an explanation from Jesus already in it. Uh, but my prayer is that today we can see some things together that help us to understand it more deeply and to examine our own hearts. First, I think we need to address a basic question. What is a parable? It literally means to throw alongside. So it means bringing something in like a word picture or metaphor, placing it beside a concept that we want to understand in order to illuminate that concept. I think if I mention the word parable, you probably first think of the parables of Jesus, like we're looking at today. But there are parables found in the Old Testament as well. Uh, one of the most dramatic parables, I think, in the Old Testament was told by the prophet Nathan to David after his sins against Uriah and Bathsheba. That's found in 2 Samuel 12. Um, you can turn there if you like, but it is a story, so you can just listen to me tell it if you like. But that's 2 Samuel 12. There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich men had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought, and he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are the man. So Nathan goes on to detail the sins of David. And David's response at the end of that is, I have sinned against the Lord. So this parable ignited a passionate sense of justice in David. And then Nathan was able to turn David's passion inward to his current situation. And that's one of the marvelous things a parable can do. It can help us to feel something deeply and then attach that to a spiritual concept we're learning. Jesus' use of parables, of course, was masterful. Um, sometimes he told them in a defensive manner. Uh, a prime example could be found earlier in the Gospel of Mark in chapter 2. The Pharisees are questioning his disciples about why their disciples fast and John the Baptist's disciples fast, but you don't fast. And uh, Jesus actually gives an answer rather than the disciples about why they don't fast. And he actually gives three very short parables, um, like metaphors or word pictures. And starting in verse 19 of chapter 2, Jesus said, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, if he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. So that's an example of like a parable in response to an accusation or, or a debate. But in our passage, Jesus begins to choose his parables to illustrate 
kingdom principles that he wants his followers to understand. So there are four soils. There is the path, the rocky soil, the thorny soil, and the good soil. The seed lands on all of them. Um, of course, you're, many of you are good farmers. You know that only one of those soils is ideal. But this farmer lets seed land on all four. And Jesus in his explanation says that the seed is the word. I think that means that the word is available to every soul, but not all will respond in faith. The seed that falls on the path is eaten by birds. Satan snatches away the word from some people. Like this, this image you saw in front of you. It's, and it's kind of disturbing, isn't it, to think that that is the role that Satan plays in this world. I, I really do believe there's a spiritual reality that we don't see with our physical eyes. Uh, I think of the story of Elisha and his servant in 2 Kings chapter 6. They're surrounded by an army sent by the king of Syria because God had been revealing to Elisha all of the king's plans as he would um, raid and try to invade the, the, the land of Israel. So he sent his whole army to go get Elisha. And they're surrounded. And his servant sees this and is filled with fear. Elisha says to him, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So I pray that the Lord would open our eyes to see this reality around us. Not just that, that Satan is out there trying to steal the word, but that God is for us and that there are forces more powerful than those against us that are at work in this world. The seed that falls on the rocky soil next uh, sprouts quickly, but then it's scorched and it withers. And these are people who respond with joy to the word, but do not grow roots. Tribulation or persecution cause them to fade away. And, and there are many stories of believers thriving in settings of great persecution from the earliest days of the church till now. Colt, even in his prayer and uh, the words leading up to that, mentioned places where people are gathered in secret to, to worship the Lord and to study his word. But in this case, in this parable, there are people illustrated who seem to respond to the word with joy, but do not grow deep. And for them, tribulation or persecution causes them to fade away. It's, it's, um, it's to some the sure path out of trouble to walk away from this new faith, and so they do. Some years ago, in my work with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, I was coaching a younger staff, campus staff minister at Beloit College in Beloit, Wisconsin. And uh, it's a challenging atmosphere to do student ministry. It's a very... The establishment is very anti-faith, and yet there are Christian students there and those who need to hear the word. And uh, one of the things I did with this younger staff guy was meet with a, a young woman who uh, he had been doing studies in the gospel with her. She was not yet a follower of Christ, but he told me she's, she's so close to putting her faith in Christ. He sees it every time they meet. So I was very excited to sit down with he and this student and do some Bible study and we actually looked at this passage, and she, at one point, just very emotionally 
said, how do I know what kind of soil I am? And she had tears and she so wanted to be the good soil. And, and my response when I saw all this was to assure her that even the asking of the question and the desire I see in you says that you're good soil. I was really happy to find out a couple weeks later that she did place her faith in Christ and uh, it was something to celebrate. But the, her staff worker was concerned that when she went home, uh, it would be a very hostile atmosphere for her. Her family was very opposed to, to her decision of faith. And within the year, I also got word that she was no longer walking with the Lord. And so I think she really illustrates the soil. And, and it shows it's really hard to tell at first if someone's heart is rocky soil because there is a response and it looks like joy and it's something that we get excited about. Um, so it's a challenging soil, I think. And, and how do we know in our own lives that we're not just rocky soil as we respond to God? We're going to swing back around to that a little bit and see what we can do to, to sort of combat that kind of soil in our own heart. The third soil was the thorny soil, and the seed that lands there grows, but it cannot compete with the thorns, and it doesn't bear fruit. These are people who pursue the cares of the world, riches, other desires. I, I really think probably there are churches all over the place that have lots of these people. Um, we can we can look like we are, are part of the faith and in fellowship, but the realities of our life would show that we're pursuing other things. Um, I, I think also some people that are, are clearly chasing those things and, and don't have any pretense of faith are some of the hardest people to try to connect to Christ, to try to, to show their need because they don't feel need. They have it all together. They have all the resources they need. When we served in Belgium, uh, we were surrounded by people. We lived in a neighborhood we really couldn't afford. And the people around us felt no material needs generally. Um, so unless there was some kind of tragedy in their family or something like that, they felt like life was pretty good. Um, a lot of them were nicer than me. I mean, they just, they were good people. And uh, it was really hard to get them to see their need for Christ. Um, but they need Jesus as much as I need Jesus and anyone else. It seems like there's typically a greater openness to the word among people on the margins of society, people experiencing troubles because they're looking for answers. Christianity in its long history has always thrived on the margins of society. Um, again, Colt referred to uh, churches around the world. It, it's been reported that if the growth rates of the church in China and in the U.S. stay on their current pace, there will be more Christians in atheist China than in the United States by 2030. There's something mind-boggling about that that causes me both to rejoice and to lament that um, here in maybe comfortable United States, we're not thriving in a way that we could as they are in difficult places like China. <coughs> well, finally, there's good soil. And in this story, while the yield varies a bit, fruit is produced. There is fruit. And the people that receive the word in this way bear fruit as well. Their faith goes deep, and they also spread the word. But how does someone become good soil? 
I want to tell you that, but first, uh, listen to this parable. <coughs> Excuse me. Listen to this parable. A man was hungry. He went to his kitchen and decided a pickle would satisfy his hunger. He opened the pickle jar and found there remained only two small pickles. He took a pair of toothpicks, one for each pickle, and removed them from the jar. He sat down in the room where his family was gathered, and several of the family members also decided a pickle was a fitting snack. The man informed his family that these two small pickles were the only ones remaining, and he had already eaten half of one of the pickles. The family members decided since there weren't enough pickles for everyone, and the man had already begun to eat the two remaining pickles, he should just enjoy them, and they would search for another snack. The next time the man was in the store, he purchased a jar of pickles, but this time it wasn't pickled cucumbers, it was pickled okra. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Good to see you. Do you guys have lunch plans today? Do you guys have lunch plans today? It's really, it's fun that you're in town, you must be doing, you're grilling today? No, not really? No plans? Has he grilled for you yet since you've been? Yes. Okay. So anyway, that's that's an odd moment, right? To to just hear a story about pickles, to have the speaker leave, to just move on. That thing you're feeling right now might in some way represent what the listeners of Jesus would have felt, except that I'm just the guy that occasionally fills in for your pastor. They went to see this man who was this great teacher. He spoke with wisdom and authority. He healed people. He, he did all these amazing things, and all he does is talk about farming, and that's it. So, you might have been thinking, you know, why, why this focus on pickles? What's with the okra? What's, this is just, just a story. I don't have any meaning for you. Even if you come and ask me, I, no, there's no meaning. It just happened. Um, but Jesus' story had meaning. It truly was a parable. Um, Let's look again at verses 10 to 12, because they're really, they're a key to this passage, they're a key to all the parables and what it is to follow Christ. Chapter 4, verse 10, And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Okay, there's a secret, I get that much, and some apparently aren't given the secret, because if they knew the secret, they might turn and be forgiven. That's a little hard to swallow, isn't it? Um, While it's challenging to understand, Jesus really is giving his followers and us the reason he teaches in parables by quoting this passage from Isaiah. Um, So I'd like you to turn to Isaiah chapter 6. I'm going to read a few verses starting at verse 8. We see the commissioning of the prophet Isaiah here. So in Isaiah 6 chapter 8, I mean Isaiah chapter 6 verse 8, we read, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. 
This passage from Isaiah is quoted in all four Gospels, and, and that's kind of rare, so we need to pay attention to this. Now, when I read a passage like this, I try to come to Scripture honestly. I try not to have preconceived notions, but I admit that sometimes I cannot help reading through lenses that I have in my life. And in passages like this, I tend to interpret things like a dad. And so I hear some dad sarcasm and frustration in here. And to me, it sounds like releasing a stubborn child to destructive behaviors, thinking maybe experiencing the trouble that's coming is the only thing left to help this child. I want to read a a quote from Andrew Page. He's the the author of that Mark Experiment book that we used in Sunday School and the creator of the Mark drama. But he says regarding these verses uh, 10 through 12 in Mark 4, how are we to understand verses 10 to 12? Does Jesus mean that God does not want people to turn to him and be forgiven? The answer to that question must be no. Jesus tells the disciples in verse 11 that there are two groups of people, the outsiders who do not understand and so reject God's message, and the insiders who may not understand but who ask Jesus to help them. The parables are not an intelligence test but an openness test designed to show which group each listener belongs Spiritually open people are hungry to know more and so ask Jesus for help. This is still true today. You might be more familiar with the the songwriter and author Michael Card. He is passionate about the Gospels. He has uh, a Mark series on Right Now Media that you might like. Um, He has written a book on several of the Gospels. And interestingly, he writes an album of music at the same time that he studies it. But He says about these verses, If we do not engage, we will not get it. The parables demand interaction. By their very nature, they reveal the character of the person who listens or doesn't listen to them. And Proverbs 25.2 says, It is the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings is to search things out. So parables reveal the postures of our hearts. It's not an intelligence test but an openness test. So in this Isaiah passage, Israel was stubborn, and God told Isaiah to speak this message, but knew they wouldn't listen. Jesus tells his parables knowing that only some will respond in faith. But how could anyone respond in faith when no one seemed to understand the parable? Well, they stick close to Jesus and get his explanation. They continue to get to know him better, so his teaching makes sense. And they learn that the secret is really Jesus and and drawing near to him, pursuing him, staying close to him, desiring more, asking for more. This is what makes some insiders and some outsiders. And that's what makes some good soil and some bad. Jesus is the secret and he's been given to you. And we need to ask for more. We need to stay close to him and chase after him. Jesus really does give the 12 and those with them a break here with this parable because it begins with listen and closes with hear. But after the parable has been told and most of the crowd has dispersed, he asks them if they understand. They have to understand this parable to understand any of the parables. And so this is a parable to unlock all the parables. So he teaches them to ask him for explanation by, in this first case, offering them 
an explanation. I told you that this parable connects to the miracle um, of the resurrection of Jairus' daughter. So I want, I want to show you the ways that that's connected. Just as there are different responses to the seed in the parable, to the word of God, there are different responses to Jesus in the story of, of Jairus and his daughter. When they arrive at the house and he says that the dead daughter only sleeps, some laugh and some have faith. And we see the division of insiders and outsiders around the telling of this parable. Now we see that in this house there is a division as well. Those who respond with laughter are sent out. And those who respond with faith like Jairus are allowed to remain inside. And then they see the wonderful thing that Jesus does. They see his power demonstrated in the resurrection of this girl. Which ties into the major theme of this section of Mark, which I mentioned earlier, and that is power. Our parable shows that there's power in the word. The seed is scattered. The word is scattered and it will bear fruit. Not all of it will be received, but there will be fruit because the word is powerful. The corresponding miracles show there's power in Jesus. In Mark, we have seen, if you, if you read to this point, he has power over nature. He has power over evil spirits. He has power over disease. And now in this story, he's even demonstrated power over death. Uh, Pastor Colt knew I was working on this passage this week, so he shared with me a tweet from John Piper. And uh, Piper boils down Jesus' already fairly concise summary of the parable or explanation into an even shorter Twitter-length summary. And it goes like this. Soil one, the word heard and the devil snatches. Soil two, the word heard and suffering consumes. Soil three, the word heard and riches choke. Soil four, the word heard, and roots go deep in the good heart. This parable also appears in Luke, and so he quotes the Luke verse, which is a little different than what we see in Mark, which says, take care how you hear. And so I hope that that is an admonition for you today, that you listen well to the things of God, not just this morning in the message, but as you go through your day-to-day. I want today's message to kind of mirror the parable in, in the opening and closing of listen and hear. And since I still see most of your eyes, I think you have listened. Um, so that's, that's good. Always one mark of success for a preacher. Um, but I want to give you a chance to hear as well. Um, When we think about the soils, I think if we're followers of Jesus, if we've placed our faith in him, it is easy for us to look back at that moment of accepting him and saying we were good soil. And it's true, because if we weren't, we would not have, we would not have placed our faith in him. But I want us to consider how we are living today. It might be that there are areas of our lives in which God wants to continue the work of sanctification in us, wants us to become more like Christ. And in some of those areas, we respond as if we're good soil, and we receive the word, and it takes root, and we grow in Christ-likeness. But there are certainly other areas in each of our lives that we are more reluctant to receive God's word. 
So this broad question of what kind of soil is my heart is improved by adding specifics to that question. So for example, I might say, in the area of finances, and all God is asking of me, what kind of soil is my heart right now? And that might be very different than the soil of my heart when I think about in the area of parenting, what kind of soil is my heart? Or in the area of, you know, you name it. So I want to give us an opportunity to do some reflection. And I'm going to use our membership covenant as a tool to do that. Or I should say our proposed membership covenant. Um, you have been hearing from Pastor Colt on a monthly basis uh, a message based on one of the ten points. We've gone through nine, and um, the tenth message is still coming. But I'm going to go ahead and follow the example that we find in the book of Nehemiah. Um, if you know the story of Nehemiah, you know that the big agenda is to rebuild the wall. Jerusalem is essentially in danger, and, and Nehemiah ends up receiving the, the blessing to, to return to Israel to rebuild the wall. But prior to this, um, the priest Ezra has already returned and begun to establish worship in the temple, uh, true worship that people had walked away from. So after the wall is built and after some political order is kind of restored, one of the things that happens is they have a public reading of the book of the law. Ezra, the priest, stands on a platform and reads the entire book of the law, and then it lists all these people, priests and Levites, who basically are scattered throughout the crowd. This would have been fun if I'd have had the deacons do this or something, but um, they they are they're explaining the things that are being read. So this is so they're reading the entire book of the law, which would take a while, but they're also explaining it and, and answering questions and making sure that people are interacting with it, taking it to heart. And so in the in the process of this public reading, the people's response is quite dramatic. There was grieving, there was weeping and mourning because they had walked away from their covenant with God and all his precepts. But the Levites assured the people, no, don't weep and don't grieve. Um, eat and drink. This is something to celebrate. Coming back to the Lord, remembering his covenant and striving to keep his commands was a beautiful thing. So the response in the days that followed was to celebrate the Feast of Booths, which is an Old Testament festival. And that hadn't been done since the days of Joshua, it tells us. And so the reading of the word, the, the calling people to a renewed commitment led to restored worship and a, and a great celebration. And so as Colt mentioned last week and again this morning, um, we're, we're leading up to this time where we hope you will affirm our membership covenant. And I want that to be a time of rejoicing because I think it could be something that years down the road, when, when our children and grandchildren are grown, they'll, they'll maybe look back at this time and say, that made such a difference in the life of this church. And we saw uh, great things in the way our church lives as community and serves the Lord and fulfills his mission in the world. But today, I actually want to read the whole thing. Um, it's not scripture, so it's not exactly like as we're reading the book of the law, but it's it's based in scripture. Um, this was in the bulletin last week, and if you're like me, you have a whole stack of like three months of bulletins in your Bible. So if you do, you can take this out. Um, <coughs> and uh, and I'm, what I'm going to do is read a point and give you about 20 seconds to just quietly sit before the Lord. And, and I hope that you hear from him. Um, if you're a visitor today... 
I don't know, doodle or something. No, seriously, I, I want you, if you're a visitor, to see this is something our church is very serious about, that we want to serve the Lord better as a community and love and serve each other better. And that's why we've we've recommended that we adopt this membership covenant. So even if you're not a member, you you don't have any intentions to be a member, these things are relevant in your life, how we treat those around us, how we serve the Lord. So I think this activity will will be helpful for you as well. So I will read. I will give you about 20 seconds. Um, it's not much time, but but I think there's definitely room because we we have been praying as a deacon board that that this would be uh, well received by our congregation, that it would be significant in our lives individually and and as a fellowship. And so you may hear one of these read and feel a, a prick in your heart of conviction, or at the other end you might be filled with hope about what this could mean as our church moves ahead. But I want you to take a moment to listen. And and I would just suggest anywhere that you hear something from the Lord or, or feel his leading, that you revisit that in the days ahead. Maybe go back and listen to the message from a month ago or six months ago or whatever it would be in that particular case. Look at the scripture that's referenced in all of these points. And uh, and after I read the last point, the, the worship team can come and then... I will just use the benediction on this proposed covenant to to close us after that. I do want to mention, too, that if you have this, it's a great prayer guide because all you have to do is take the first phrase and replace it with something like help us or give us strength to, and they are amazing prayer requests. So, for example, it says, we pledge to walk together in Christian love through the power of the Holy Spirit. If I change that to Lord, help us, to walk together in Christian love through the power of the Holy Spirit. We will all be praying in such a unified way for this church and for each other that I would be very excited to, to see what happens next. So I will, I will now read this and give you the space that I've promised. By the grace of God, we have been led to repent of our sin and believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We have confessed our faith and been baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, therefore, in the presence of God and by his grace, we joyfully and solemnly enter into a holy covenant with the members of Bethel Church. We pledge to walk together in Christian love through the power of the Holy Spirit. We will not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but faithfully attend the church's meetings for worship, prayer, study, and fellowship, and will use our spiritual gifts for the common good. We pledge to faithfully participate in the ordinances of the church and endeavor after unity of mind and doctrine. We will both submit to the church's discipline upon ourselves and lovingly assume our responsibility to participate in the discipline of other members as taught in Scripture.
We will contribute cheerfully and regularly to this church for its general ministry and expenses, the relief of the poor, the cause of reformation and revival, and the spread of the gospel throughout all nations. We will strive by God's grace and power to live out a faithful Christian witness in the world. And denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we will seek to fulfill our calling to lead a holy life and to be salt and light. We will seek by the power of God to live carefully in the world, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, and remembering that based on our profession of faith through baptism, there is on us a special obligation to lead a new and holy life. We purpose to watch over one another in brotherly love, to remember one another in prayer, to help one another in sickness and distress, to cultivate Christian compassion and courtesy, and admonish and entreat one another as an occasion may require. We will be slow to take offense, always eager to seek the reconciliation Christ commands, and will work to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We resolve to practice personal and family worship and to train our children and those under our care in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Worship team, you can come as I read this last one. We promise that if, in the providence of God, we leave this church, we will diligently seek to unite with another church where we can continue to carry out the spirit and principles of God's word.
Some of you may have begun to hear from the Lord, and um, others may have just spent some quiet moments before him. But I believe if we approach uh, this next month, month and a half or so, with this kind of posture, God is going to show us areas in which we need to respond to his calling. And, and I think this covenant can be a tool to help us do that. So that's my prayer for us, not just for you, but for all of us, that we will have a posture that helps us to hear from the Lord and that we will take steps in relationships, in practices, in beliefs that bring us into a, a deeper relationship with him and greater fellowship with each other. Thank you for listening to this sermon resource from BethelMBChurch.org. If you'd like to learn more about Bethel Church or find other resources, please visit our website at BethelMBChurch.org. Bethel Church exists to bring glory to God by promoting the joyful worship of Jesus Christ both here and abroad.